0: Are you ready to make a real difference in the world, and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe.
1: It's Kevin, and I want to welcome you to episode 158 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Hey, we're doing something a little bit different this week. If you haven't yet heard episode 157, which was last week's episode, I want to encourage you to pick that up. You can listen to it after you listen to this. It's not sequential, but we announced something last week, which really tees up why we're doing what we're doing this week. What we announced and what we are working on right now is a rebrand and a refocus, a re-everything of the Higher Purpose Podcast coming in September. It will now become the This Extraordinary Life Podcast. So what we're doing in this month of August, while we are taking a bit of a sabbatical to retool and reformat the podcast, we're playing some of the episodes that have been most pivotal in my journey. The first one we're featuring, today's episode, was my conversation with Nilofar Merchant. Nilofar has become a friend. She's written this amazing book, Onliness. And what I discovered through this process is that part of my onlyness is this journey that's led me to go all in on this extraordinary life. The week after Nilifer and I had connected for this conversation... We had just a follow-up conversation, just the two of us. It was a walk and talk. And during that conversation, Nilifer asked me a question. The question was, I really love the Higher Purpose podcast, and I enjoy the work you're doing, but the higher purpose of what? To what end? You know, I was struggling with that question myself. And that question, along with several other conversations, just propelled me on this journey. And you know, all of us, we have those little inputs, those catalysts in our life, those conversations. There's a segment of a conversation that kind of gets lodged in your head or heart, won't go away, and it prods you. I started to say it eats at you, but it doesn't eat at you in a negative way. It just really prods you and it it keeps coming back. Well, that conversation with Nilifer was one of those that kept coming back. Nilifer is a delightful person. I just love her work, this whole idea of onliness. So today, I invite you to listen to this. Maybe it's the first time, or maybe it's a re-listen. But I invite you to listen with fresh ears and hear if there's something coming out of this conversation that sparks something New, in you, for you, or through you. Let's dive into the conversation with Nilifer. It is a pure delight to welcome Nilifer Merchant here to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Welcome, Nilifer. Hey, Kevin. You know we've had this conversation in the works for several months now, and now we're connected as all around the world people are navigating uncharted territory and things are changing by the moment. Hmm. So how are you now?
2: At this very moment, I feel grounded and at peace and handling the uncertainty one moment at a time, one day at a time.
1: Hmm. And there's a lot to be said for that right now. You listening, I'm so excited. Nilifer and I have spent a few minutes together here before we hit record. We've emailed before, we've tweeted, we've linked in before, but we had a conversation today. And I can assure you, the conversation we are about to share today will be radically different than if we would have had this three weeks ago or three months ago when we were first talking about getting together. Yeah. And I'm it's just true. grateful that you I mean you just open your heart mm. and your soul oh. and you just express willingness to have whatever kind of conversation comes out today so thank you for that of course, Kevin so I usually start with gratitude, but before we get there, I want to ask something how is our current crisis illuminating your thoughts on loneliness, the topic that you spend most of your time talking about, writing about. Yeah, speech.
2: right. I've been researching now for seven years. Yeah. Gosh, how has it illuminated my thoughts? Well, I'll tell you a story. So I've been doing this thing for the last few weeks because I, my brain is just this one big jumble where I, I can barely form sentences. And what is helping is just being in conversation with leaders and people I know. And so uh, a pal of mine who happens to be an executive at one of these healthcare firms and I had a walk and talk, a virtual walk and talk on Sunday. And she tells me this story and it just sticks in my heart. she says, um, she always thought her organization was so customer centric. And during all this stuff, she said her clients, like the patient trial stuff that used to happen, used to require like sometimes two hour drives. And she mentioned a particular hospital to our drives to John Hopkins. And they thought they were being just like taking him to the world class facility and blah, blah, blah. And then through this moment realized that's actually not being as customer centric as they needed to be. And so her team figured out like these small, tiny little clinics, like they literally found like a clean space in a small little clinic that was like, you know, a quarter mile from home that somebody could go to and they even figured out how to do cancer treatment at home with these really easy to use instructions. And in one case, and and she says, isn't it interesting how these people inside the organization, she was so inspired by her own team, right, were figuring out how to actually do what was right. And she said, so here we were thinking we were so quote, quote unquote customer centric in the past. And yet those old rules about what defined a good place to come and get treatment were just ridiculously arbitrary, right? And so she goes, she's telling me about how people have now the ability, the voice, as I call it, to create change. They're enabled, like no one's stopping them. Everyone's like, whatever works, works, you go do it, like, because we trust you. And all of a sudden, there's this new normal, that's so different. And so she tells me this whole story and then she pauses and she says, what if this sticks? Like, wouldn't that be amazing?
1: What if this sticks?
2: Right? What if this sticks? And when I think about loneliness, it's that combination of voice and belonging that creates real change, that creates real lasting connection between people and Here she is as a leader just wondering, gosh, can this be the new normal? That's what I think about a lot
1: now. Okay, so the follow-up question I was going to ask was, what new questions have you been pondering? And you just gave two there that I love. Hmm. What if this sticks? Hmm. And what if this becomes the new normal? The way we're caring for one another, the way we're connecting with one another.
2: Yeah. I wrote a book before, The Power of Holiness, that was about social era. And social era was all about these different ways in which we could break down this perimeter understanding of us versus them. Mm. Mm. And so in it, I basically say, you know instead of you thinking about you designing a product as a company and then selling it to those people out there who are customers, right? You could just break this false mythology of separation Mm. and understand that you can do this dialogue back and forth, you can do an exchange, you can co-create what mm-hmm. ends up happening next. And leaders would look at me and be like, well, that makes sense if, and then the examples they would love out of my book were like where customer service could be done for free by customers, right? Yeah. And so would be like, great, that lowers costs. Awesome. I can justify that. But when it came to like understanding social interactions, it's also about A relationship and about mutuality and about, you know, instead of one up, one down, this place in which we're relating to each other as equals, Mm. each one bringing something that only each person can bring. They kind of like look at me like I was speaking some foreign language, you Mm. know? So they liked the part where it benefited them, but they didn't like the part where they had to step into the unknown. And so I really do see like whether it's that story of my friend or all the other examples I've been tweeting and stuff is all about, wow, we could actually get to a place where social, we realize how linked our fates are and not ranked and not separate, but Mm. deeply, deeply connected, not in the ways we sometimes use connected or community in business, but in the truest linked
1: way. Mm. Linked, not ranked. I'm going to noodle on that one, Mm Nilifer. You give me plenty to think about whenever I hear you speak or read what you write. So that's one that's going to linger. Hey, I want to go back to where I always start, the grounding question. Mm. What is something you're grateful for in this moment?
2: Mm. Such a good question. And it changes moment to moment. Um, I'll tell you just at this moment what comes to mind. This morning, I was in a book club with people I've never met before. Mm. And it just started because somebody was like, hey, at this time, I feel like reading this book called Sacred Economics. Mm. And is anybody else interested in reading Sacred Economics? And I don't know, like 10 people sort of virtually raised our hands and then somebody was like, okay, I'll organize a Zoom call and a Slack channel. and, And I was just thinking, Oh my gosh, the gratefulness of being able to raise my hand and be with people who wanted to explore that question, you know, that what could the new economy be? Mm. And then, like in my inbox now, I have a note from a friend who's a head of DNI at one of the major tech companies. And she said, I miss hearing her voice. Can we talk and connect? And I haven't heard from her in a while. Like it's probably been like eight months, and I've been sort of feeling like oh, I don't want to bother her because she's so busy. Mm. And she was in my inbox and I was like, oh, I'm so glad she reached out because I didn't know, given when we last talked, like, was she too busy for me? And I was feeling a little, I don't know, just didn't seem like as connected. A friend who's a professor at the University of Queensland wrote to me and said, he's working on his onlyness canvas today and using part of this week to think about how he could do deeper, meaningful work. And so he was just sharing that. Mm. And so I feel like I don't know what I'm grateful for is, I guess, that sense of connection.
1: Mm. Mm. Okay. I heard connection on a couple of different levels. Mm. Reconnection with some older friends that prior to this, at least you thought they were too busy to have time for you. Mm. And then at the same time, new connection to people you didn't yet know that just happened to come around with interest in a common topic.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, community and all these other ways, yeah.
1: So, Nilafer, I want to ask you a question. I was thinking about a question I've heard expressed many times, different ways in the last two weeks. I've seen it in written form. I've heard it in Zoom conversations. I've seen it posted. And I've heard people say, I wish there was something I could do to help. Or to make a difference? Hmm. Have you heard that question? Or similar versions? I actually haven't. I've heard just the opposite. Like, for
2: example, my I have a friend. She happens to be a florist. And the reason I know her is because for probably like 10 years, I would seek her out at this little florist shop in town. And ask her to help me arrange whatever I had chosen because at that little shop, like you choose the flowers and then Mm
0: -hmm. you can
2: either go home and arrange it, or you can ask if, you know, somebody has time, they'll arrange it for you in their hand and then hand it to you. Done. And then she'd gone off to work at a little, little restaurant, just tiny little cafe that we have here in town called Purple Onion, which I love. And I know she was working there and I just was like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. And then she said, yeah, I'm thinking about starting my own florist work. And So I said, oh, I'll be your first customer, which was just so easy, right? To say, I'll be your first customer. How can I help? And now she's got this really lovely business that is so markedly different in terms of how she's creating her her arrangements, they're so her, they're so her onlyness. see It's just been beautiful to manifest. And she's been doing this thing where all these brides are really worried about whether or not they're going to get flowers for their wedding and blah, 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 like, you know, the dramas of people trying to arrange their own life. And she's been doing these virtual little commentaries about here's the crown I would make for a bride. And here's the flowers I would make for this person. And she's just staying so present. And the reason I'm aware of it is I reached out to her, like I did a lot of people and said, Hey, how are you doing for groceries? How are you doing for emotional support? How are you doing for anything? Can I help? So just different people I knew in town. And I'm not trying to make myself out to be any. It was just more like texting saying, Hey, do you need anything? And I'm especially worried for people who are freelancing and all that. Right. So I was just checking in. And I said, if you need cash, I have cash right now. I'm okay. And so I can provide. And so do you need anything? Can I basically buy a gift certificate and help? And she said, oh, no, no, I'm good. And here's someone who is not high on the economic spectrum. And she is literally spending all her energy trying to figure out how to comfort those brides. And so I've sort of seen the opposite, Kevin, which is it's like every person I know, no matter what the level is sort of doing the, how can I help? thing in this like amazingly resilient, creative, and genius, hope-filled way that I've sort of been like, wow, that's who we are.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love those stories. And I've seen plenty of those. And to these people, when I've had the opportunity to weigh into those conversations myself, I think part of what their struggle is, is thinking they need to do something big to make a difference yeah right I need to do something on a grander scale what can I do that really makes a difference or to use a word that I love from you to make a dent Hmm. in this right Hmm. how can I dent this issue of coronavirus pandemic and it's like you don't have to just care for the person next to you yeah I was talking to
2: a DE&I person funny enough was scheduled to do a podcast and the conversation ended up becoming about her business and that she has 15 people that she's employed. She's basically let most of them go and I and the first thing I said is no 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 catch them all. Yeah. And so catch them all and we will figure out how to fix that. And so then like I've been talking to her about how do we get you a loan? Mm. How do we get you Clients, how can I strategize with you about getting back your pipeline? Blah blah blah. Just like I will basically backstop you, so you can backstop those people. Wow. And again, I'm not trying to make myself out to be anything other than I just happen to be in that moment. I could be of service, and I think that is exactly it. It's like where are you in that moment, being present enough to the person you can be in service to, and that can be the smallest thing. There's a woman who owns a little boutique here in town. You know, I just happen to be, I like clothes. And so I stop by and usually check out what's, so I've been stopping by on my walks as I walk around town just to get a little break from my own little domicile. And uh, I knock on the window because sometimes I think she might be in there or I leave a little post-it. Mm. And it's like, I don't know whether or not it's making a difference to her, but it's making a difference to me Just show up, to be connected, to say, hey, I'm still thinking about you.
1: Okay, so it's really funny, Nilla, I'm reaching down, I'm grabbing a children's book that's on my desk. Oh, tell me. I don't always keep children's book. I have a dear friend, Cindy Lake, whose office is covered with children's books. Huh. And then they have other books as well. But night before last, I sat here in my desk and read a story to our granddaughter because mm. we're not able to go see her at the moment. Yeah, And it's a story. My wife found the book downstairs and it's a story I read to a group of adults, a different version of it two weeks ago. And the story stone soup. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? right. And the whole point of that is everybody has a little something to add to the soup. And when you add your little bit, the soup's better for everybody.
2: Right. One thing makes a difference, right? One little thing makes a difference. And it's Henri Nguyen's comment. When I was in business school, one of the professors I took a class with was an expert in innovation, which happens to be my field now. And uh, this has got to be, well, I'm old, but this is like, it has to be 20 years. And he had given us like a whole literature list. And I basically tried to choose the thinnest books in the literature (laughs) list because I was one of those slacker kids, you know, who was like, how can I do the least little bit? And um, Henri Nguyen, his writing is just so approachable. And one of the lines that I remember a lot lately Mm. is this notion about what you pay attention to grows. And the way he said it is, the devil asks you, the devil asks you to analyze and understand and evaluate and dissect and, you know, like to formulate a strategy. And all God asks is that you love. Mm. And I think sometimes when we're doing the, what should I be doing now language, we're doing this like grand plan thing. Yeah. And all I know is, what is right in front of me. Trust me, I have this thought about, shouldn't I be doing more? Shouldn't I be doing... But I walk by a friend of mine who I've known for now 25 years. She happens to live in town. And I just walked by and knocked on the window so I didn't even touch her, mm-hmm. her doorknob. I didn't want to potentially risk, like, what if I, you know, and then I walked away like eight feet, 10 feet away from the door and said, hey, I don't want to bother you, but I just want to wave and let you know you're on my thoughts. And then she texted me yesterday saying how much it meant to her because she hadn't talked to someone for two weeks.
1: Yeah, wow.
2: And it's like, I don't know. That doesn't feel consequential to me, Kevin. I I mean that. I actually had that thought like, wow, I should be doing, quote unquote, should be doing something more. I get that ideology. I get it because I have that thought. And then I think, well, what is the thing I could do that passes on just?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, and I think it's recentering correctly. Center on what you know. And what you can do right at this moment, and the other things take care of themselves, mm. not to say you shouldn't be thinking about if you have500 dollars how to give to a food shelter right now or whatever, right? Like I get it. I'm doing those things too. but it's like just focus one thing at a time, what can you do to spread more purpose, more love, more meaning? all those things that are we in business
1: talk about, but we don't do enough of. Mm. Millifer, I'm loving this conversation. Thank you. There's an encounter. You mentioned God. So all of a sudden my mind went and I started thinking it. And I think of the story of out of the Bible of Moses, when God taps Moses to deliver people, right, that were in captivity. Mm -hmm. And Moses says, well, I'm not the man. I don't speak well. And then God asked Moses, what's that in your hand? And what Moses had in his hand was a shepherd's staff that becomes the tool you know, that God used. Right. But that question has come back to my mind multiple times in this crisis we're in. What's that in your hand? Mm. This is what onlyness is always about. Yeah. Oh, you can call somebody? I make it a point to, like you, to just call people and say, hey, I was thinking about you today. Mm. Is everything okay? And Nilofer, I marvel at the long-term reach of a 30-second message. Yeah. I think
2: all of us are doing that. And also to be able to ask for help. Like yesterday I texted someone I really know well enough now that I can do this, And but I said, I'm having a super hard moment. I wonder if you'd be willing to go for a walk with me because she happens to be in town. And I said, I'll take virtual, I'll take in real, I'll take whatever. <laughs> yeah. I need just a conversation. And I think the two-way reciprocity to be able to show up however we are, to be willing to ask Mm -hmm. whatever we need, I think the two-way. So sometimes the piece those of us who are sometimes blessed with the word, right? Whatever that looks like, we think our job is to already find the way to formulate sentences or whatever, and we forget that we also need help and we also are part of an interdependent system. Absolutely. I want us to understand both sides of that.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Hey, we're talking about onlyness, and some Mm -hmm. people may be like, I'm not familiar with this term, onlyness. So would you share with us a moment the essence of onlyness? Sure. In fact, we probably should have started with that, right? But it's good. it's It's all
2: good. It's all good. Onlyness. Each of us stands in a spot in the world. Only one stands in. And from that spot is how you add your bit to the world. It's the source of ideas. It's the perspective that shapes someone else's ideas. It's the way in which we each do our thing. Mm -hmm. It's a different model than how we've traditionally considered who can add value to the world. Different in that a lot of us who are not necessarily top in rank Talking about that linked versus ranked idea. So, those of us who are not top in rank, who don't have the official title to quote unquote know the strategy, those of us who are maybe outside the periphery of where decision making is happening, maybe because of how we look or how well educated we are or our gender or all the other ways in which dynamics play a role in our organizations to hear some voices and not hear others. Onlyness actually says each of us has something of value to offer. And as we value ourselves and as we are valued, then we can show up and do value creation.
1: Okay. Those were a few words.
2: Yeah. Probably too much.
1: No, 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 no. I mean, you've written a whole book on this, right? But there's so much in there Mm. that I'd like to unpack if you please. Please, please help me. Yeah. One of these is onlyness is available to everyone. Yeah, it is. Everyone has some onlyness. Because Nilofer, I know people that would go, oh yeah, I get that. Nilofer, she owns onlyness. And Kevin, well, he has his onlyness, but not me. Yeah.
2: Well, that's indoctrination, right? That's however many years of indoctrination of people believing that they are not as capable based on perhaps not having the same level of education or whatever it is, you know? So I say, regardless of anything, each of us has something to offer. And, you know, we're seeing it today. We're seeing the reality of how much a grocery store worker, who, by the way, a month ago, we w- would have, almost everyone would have bought into the definition of that is a low-skilled worker,
0: mm-hmm.
2: air quotes, needed for that, right? And I'm like, no, no. They are part of a system that feeds us. And feeding us is part of the way in which we exist and get to do our creative work. So that is part of it. The loving way in which the blackberries are stocked at Trader Joe's so that I might be more tempted to eat fruit versus other things, that's all part of the system. Mm. And so it is saying each of us has something. And so we get to ground and center ourselves on that source. And not do it as a comparative thing. I am no better or worse than Kevin. I am not higher or lower than Kevin. I have something to bring and Kevin has something to bring.
1: And when we both bring our contributions. Yeah. All right. Confession time. Shoot. (laughs) I can't believe I'm doing this. No, why not? We're we're doing things differently now. I don't know when, but I do know that comparison has been a struggle for me all of my life. I don't know when it started, right? In groups I host, I just tell people, hey, we want everybody to contribute and nobody to compare. Mm-hmm. What does it take? Because you've written some beautiful words. I want to read a couple of them and then let you kind of Riff on this however you want. I love this paragraph, Nilifer. When you enter a room, your light illuminates the entire space. That makes it difficult to discern your own only because the light you shine is also the filter through which you see the world. Here is where others can help you. When you walk into a room, people can observe, wow, it just got orange in here. And help you name that particular shade of orange. They have the perspective to be able to see the difference in the world when you're present and when you're not.
2: Yeah, it's a beautiful analogy,
1: isn't it? It is. I just love that. So unpack that for us.
2: Well, just a funny story about that analogy is I had been talking about loneliness for a couple of years and talking and writing and thinking about it. And Justine Musk, was the one who then wrote a blog post and used that analogy. So that Mm. is not my analogy, that is Justine's. And the reason I find that beautiful is because here I was trying to find a way to express the fact that it's our own light in the world and we have a hard time seeing it. And I had explained, however, I had explained it to Justine and Justine found this beautiful analogy. And this is where (laughs) ideas are so iterative and evolve with one another and that that we get to play, right? And that even Justine in her, because she's this beautiful writer, but she writes like romance novels, so really, really different than my kind of writing. And here she is playing off it and riffing and adding something. This is the beauty of each of us Mm. to offer that gift, that contributive gift. And I think the piece that's hard for everyone, this is just, I think the human condition, is we have eyes that look out. And so we see, We see how special Kevin is. We can see it. Can we see backwards to ourselves? Right? Our eyes don't turn around that way. And that's when we have to listen to our heart and actually be able to say, there is some value I offer. And I need to lean, you know, so like sit quietly into my own stillness to be like, what is it? And that's where we sometimes forget, though, that none of us can see ourselves in isolation. We are always in context. So, onlyness is really, I call it the source, right? The source of all ideas and innovation. But I could just stop with source. Mm. I, of course, see it through an innovation lens because I feel like that's our ability to add value and create value is really my lens through which I understand the world. And when I was thinking about this contributive comparative thing, I was thinking most of us don't understand how to be contributive because we can see out there. Mm. And then I realized as I did all this research on the underlying Notion, like what forms onlyness. I realized actually as human beings, what forms onlyness is a social construct. Hmm. And it took me a while to understand it because I, like most people, have been indoctrinated with a set of ideas that says you can do it. And in fact, you should do it. And it's the you being singular Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in definition rather than you in the plurality. And this is a very especially American ideology, to hear you and see just the singular when we are always connected. Even the word individual, I remember when I first was doing the taxonomy work on understanding what the word individual was, and it says it's the smallest measure of the humankind. Hmm. So, you're never disconnected. You're always part of a system. You're always part of some group. The right. question is do you understand
1: what group you're a part of? Okay. I want to go deeper there, Nilifer, because I think if people were just to kind of hear your loneliness concept at a surface level and not do the deep dive, not read the book, or not listen mm-hmm. to some of your unpacking it, they could think lone ranger ish, right? Yeah. Onliness means loneliness, mm-hmm. going it alone. And yet, that is not it at all. For you, community is central to onliness.
2: Yeah. So, uh, in fact, can I tell you a story that I just heard? Please. In the last few weeks, of course, as a keynote speaker, I've had to be in conversation with people who've had to cancel events. and And I will admit really sheepishly that I have not wanted to be in these conversations because... I'd much rather if you're going to cancel my future income and cancel. I don't want to be in a conversation with you where you could potentially see my hurtness yeah. at not being included and stuff. So I've been walking these conversations just like a little petulant child, like, "Fine, if I have to show up, fine, but I don't want to Like <laughs> that's my internal voice. So I showed up to this call, and it's with uh, a foundation, and she says, uh, hey, I don't know if I ever told you why we first hired you. And I go, no, I don't know the story. And she goes, well, I read a piece of yours two years ago. I can point you to the site where I read it. And it was a TED.com piece on community that was an excerpt out of the book, Power of Onlyness. And she says, I read that story and I had really been affected by it because you had talked about onlyness in the construct of community and that community can be these multiple layers. It can be about purpose. It can be about proximity. It can be about, you know, all these different Ps, right? And she goes, it really got me thinking about how I, as an internationally well-known branded foundation, are sitting in a city with people who are equally internationally known, like a science museum, art museum, blah, blah, blah. And none of us know each other really. Mm. And so she said it really got her thinking about that. So she sent the article to two other executive directors of these internationally globally known branded blah, blah, blah organizations, but that were effectively neighbors like a block away. And they got into a conversation. So she tells me that, she says, and they started like relying on each other and they started helping each other with grants. And they started just being professional colleagues and sort of like really like coming to count each other as friends. And after a year, she says, we realized our teams would benefit from this work. So they called it neighbors and they asked their teams to meet one another. And then she said, like, at one point, a scientist was stuck and sent out a note saying, well, how he was stuck. And another person from the art museum was able to say, hey, I have a data visualization person who's really good. And the scientist wrote back saying, I've never understood my data so clearly. I've got, like, a breakthrough happening because of it. Yada, yada. And, oh, and the best story was out of all that where she goes, and at one point, an MRI machine broke. And she says there was something in the art gallery that could effectively do the same thing. So we rolled this multi-million-dollar piece of equipment down the street and shared it, which we never would have done if we weren't neighbors. And she goes, so the conversation we had this morning, she's telling me this a week ago, she goes, is what do we now do about coronavirus in Kansas City that we couldn't have done if we weren't all in the same place? So what is it only we Mm -hmm. can do? And I started crying. I have to admit, I was so blown away with the story of community and asking a new question that they otherwise would not have been able to ask. And I said to her, I revealed to her that I had joined the call thinking, well, here I am just going to be dismissed at the table once again, you know, that sense of Mm. loss and her story inspired me so much to just sit in my own whatever and to recognize that sometimes things take a while to mature and, you know, all that, just that sense. And I said, thank you so much for sharing that story because you have renewed me in a way just by sharing that story. And she goes, well, actually, I'm telling you the story for a different reason. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and I'm like, I'm following along, trying to, you know, trying to be like a helpful, good person. you know, like, And she goes, well, I wonder if you'd be willing to sit with us and talk to us about that con- about what we could only do and let us engage that conversation with you so that you could be just a sounding board and a resource. And of course, we'll pay you and we'll still do a keynote with you later, but can you use the time you already have allocated with us to have this conversation? And I'll tell you, I have never felt so much belonging. And the reason I share it is this notion about community can be so abstract, right? We can do this quote-unquote strategy of it. Who do I belong to? And then you can just kind of look around and go, I belong to the person down the street. I belong to Kevin, who's trying to change work to be more purposeful. I belong to, and it just becomes so much simpler in a way, but it requires us to be in community, to just listen. And so my own lesson to myself as I shared that whole story is I have to park my own fears for long enough to be present to a conversation and then I can figure out how to serve, and the rest sort of really isn't mine to own anyway.
1: Okay, big dramatic pause there, Nilofer. (laughs) Okay, you listening, you know I normally do these by Zoom because of all these things that are happening. Nilifer and I are connected by Zoom, but we had to stop the video so we could actually have high quality audio for the recording. You had to park your fears. What was the rest of that?
2: In order for me to actually be present.
1: Let's talk about that a moment. Because I believe there are a lot of us right now that have some fears (laughs) that are preventing us from being present. Mm -hmm. Any ideas what it takes to kind of park fear for a few moments and just be present?
2: Oh, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before, Kevin, because I know you've done your research, but there's a funny part in the book that I talk about when I wrote it down, I was like, everyone's gonna think I'm such a psycho. And I'm okay because it's true, and I probably am a psycho, it's fine. But the story is this. So I used to really suppress fear and those emotions because it felt made me feel weak. Mm -hmm. And I realized that wasn't helping because fear would just take over at two o'clock in the morning. Mm. Fear always demands to be heard, right? And then it gets louder and louder. So I learned how to have these like lunchtime appointments with fear. And I would actually sit with fear and actually like have a verbal conversation. So fear, what are you trying to tell me?
0: Mm.
2: And now fear lets me sleep at night. Like I can have all the sleep I need or whatever it is. And because I actually am willing to face into it and be like, what is fear trying to tell me? So I believe fear's role is just like any other emotion. It's just a signal. And if you try to turn down the signal or dampen the signal or ignore the signal, the signal just gets louder. So just like all emotions, they don't have to rule you, but you do have to pay attention. Hmm. And so that appointment with fear was my coping mechanism. I will look at dead in the eye. By the way, it usually only has three sentences to deliver. Like it's not that long, <laughs> but fear will take a long time to say it if you kind of ignore it, right? So now I just look dead into fear. I think what we're mostly afraid of, just like I was in that call, so I find when I'm working with people mm. on their loneliness, they're so afraid that they're not good enough, that they're not already worthy, mm. that they're running hard mm. instead of being able to just stay where they are. And I find that if I can just say, you're already worthy, you already have gifts, you already have a capacity, those are all true. Now what? Then we kind of get to another place.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. I'm just soaking in that a moment. And I hope you listening pause and just soak in that. I'll reflect. A friend of mine about this time last year sent me a book. We weren't friends then. We've become friends since then. And it was a book on gratitude. Steve Foran wrote this book, Surviving to Thriving, The Ten Laws of Grateful Leadership. Hmm. And I've told Steve this. I've told others. I thought I knew everything about gratitude. I've practiced gratitude for years. And when he sent me his book, I'm thinking, yeah, thanks. But what can you teach me? I read chapter one didn't do anything for me. I skipped to chapter 10 because it was a chapter on purpose. And I thought, well, if if I want to entertain him on the podcast, I need to consider this and see if he has anything to say about purpose. And in there I read a sentence and it caught my eye. I had to go back and read the whole book. And the sentence, every time he talked about gratitude, it was in this pairing. You are worthy and you have much to be grateful for. Hmm. And you and I both know that a lot of people in the world and a lot of people listening to this conversation have believed lies about their worthiness. Mm. I'm just going to ask you to say that again, or whatever you want to say about the worthiness and gifting of every person who will hear this podcast, every person who occupies a space on this planet.
2: Yeah. Um, so when I first coined the term onlyness, I'm uh, reflecting on something I actually don't talk about. So my name, Nilifer, if you heard it in Farsi, it would be Nilofar, translates directly to lotus flower.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when my grandfather told me, because he had named me, and when my grandfather told me why he named me what he named me, he said, I knew who would raise you. And I knew she would be a violent person because that was her coping mechanism. And I wanted you to have a name that would remind you to go towards the light. And lotus flowers, if you remember, grow in the mud, in the dark, and they reach towards the light. That's how they grow. And that's how they blossom and sort of show their magnificence in the world. And so he gave me that name. When I was coining the word onlyness, I was drawing this comparison between being the only one, where you're otherized, you know, where the room is being centered and you're the odd one out Mm -hmm. if you don't fit into the existing norm and celebrating and centering correctly on onlyness. And I said, it is both your history and experience, which is the rootedness part, in the mud of who you've been and your visions and hopes for what you manifest or you want to manifest in the world, even if no one else can see it. Mm. And that was me defining oneness not just by archaeology but by this framework of the lotus that we can grow towards the light and so when sometimes people have a lived life that is dark and i certainly have had a lived life that is dark i want them to also remember that there is another part of that story which is what is still happening and that as they just grow towards the light they can become more of who they wanna be. Hmm. And so I see onlyness as everything you've been and everything you imagine. And so of course we're each worthy because we all have a spot in the world that is already worthy. And then we get to go create what we believe is possible next. Um, And I know a lot of us have been told, no, 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 you're not the person who can create, you're not the one who can do whatever. And I'm like, well, that's just a lie someone's told you. And when you see the truth in yourself, Mm. you will actually start doing this work, whatever that looks like. And I know it's just a hard message because there's so much conditioning that we receive sometimes from parents, sometimes from teachers, sometimes from our bosses, whatever of things. But those are outside constructs. And the only other example or story or metaphor or whatever it is I'm about to say, <laughs> because I can't think of the word, is there is this power of place and that is defined by society, often then shaped by whether you're part of the in-group or the out-group. And then there is that power of place that is our organizational spot, so we can be defined by whether or not we're up or down. And then there is that place of power that is onlyness. Where simply by standing in that spot in the world only one stands in, you have something of value to offer. What that is, only you can show us. Hmm. But it's already there.
1: It's already there. It's already there. Thank you, Nilla. I had a fault. Hmm. And you and I talked about it before we hit record, but At that point, I had no idea how easy or hard it would be for you to speak into hope. Hmm. Because for me, it's really important that right now we provide hope for people. Because many people have a sense of hope. Many others are looking for hope. And you shared a beautiful story about hope. (laughs) My embarrassing story. Uh, (laughs)
2: it's really an embarrassing story. It's an awful story, but I will share it again. Absolutely. I'll even say who said it to me because it's really quite lovely. So one of the things that authors have to do when they're about ready to publish a book is they ask people to review it and read it and what's called blurbing it. So those little quotes that you get on the back jacket of a book are what authors have to go out and ask people to do. And I had asked, I wanted this like range of people, not just business people or whatever, to comment on the book and A friend of mine is Stacy London, who did What Not to Wear. She's just one of the best angels. And she wrote back a blurb that was about hope, that this is the most hopeful thing she's ever read or something like that. And I was really disappointed. And that's where I'm sort of laughing at myself now. I was really disappointed. And I said something back to her. I was like, well, hope is like the lightweight thing, like, can't you talk about how, like, it's a tectonic change about the future of work or like, you know, like she's a heavyweight or intellectual or I wanted all these other words, mm. right? And I remember thinking, hope, hope is like, ugh, hope, ugh, you know, and I remember just being like, I'm not that lightweight person, you know, and I just laughed back at myself. Oh my gosh, that is three years ago. And I laughed at that person who thought hope was a lightweight thing. Mm. And now, of course, and I shared with you the quote that hope is what was it? I said, Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. It's a Dickinson line. And you can see it. It's like, even though it looks like it's so lightweight, it's the toughest thing there is. And it's the bridge across which we have to walk in order to get to a new future.
1: The bridge across which we have to walk to get to a new future. And we hope we carry things, going back to the beginning of our conversation, we hope some of these things that we are experiencing now, we carry across that bridge with us.
2: Yeah, we do, right? Yeah, right. And we carry our friends, and we don't go alone.
1: We don't go alone. We don't go alone. Is there anything you'd like to say that helps draw this conversation, this beautiful, delightful conversation, to a fitting close for you, Nillafert?
2: I guess the one thing you actually touched upon this notion of loneliness. Sometimes people equate loneliness with loneliness. And I said, well, being the only one is very lonely. But loneliness is all about knowing to whom do you belong. Mm -hmm. And most of us, Define that too narrowly. Like we think, oh, it's if I'm an admin, it's other admins. Or if I'm a, you know, we think about it in very limited ways, like by role or by maybe by color or by gender or all these different ways of relating to people. Those are all fine. The deeper understanding of onlyness, I'm not judging the first few options, right? But is to go, what is it you care about? Mm. And as you care about that thing, who else cares about those things too? And how can you join with them to go, go do that work? And however small it might even look like at the beginning, that's the one thing I did learn when I was doing the research on loneliness. I have a funny story. I know I'm wondering, but I have a funny story about that. So when I was first doing the idea of loneliness, I had already coined the word. I'd already sort of thought about what the basic premise was. I thought... Gosh, this is going to be super easy to find twenty-five stories. I'll study twenty-five. I'll write twenty of them. I'll be done. Blah, and you know, show how people are using that power to claim that spot in the world only they stand to find the other people who care about that thing, and then scale that. I thought, how hard is that going to be? You know, and hubris. And I ended up having to study three hundred examples in order to back into the twenty that were in the book. And the reason was, none of the people that I met who were doing really exceptionally profound things, were able to decode what they were doing, quote unquote, right. So what would allow someone else to duplicate that model? They didn't know. Mm. For example, Franklin Leonard said, who's in the book in chapter five, writes about how he did the blacklist. And he said, well, he just drew a a bigger light onto the stories that blah, 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 that he was going to include. And I go, well, actually anyone with money could have shone the bigger light. So that's not it. That's absolutely not it, you know, and so on and so on. So each person was equally like unaware of what was the thing that would allow them to create scale. And what I learned in that process is the biggest act of all this is to understand first, what is it you want to claim? And then how do you find those other people to do that walk across that bridge? And that's the scary part is usually from that moment where you go, oh, I see this thing as potentially possible to finding your people based on all the research I did was two to three years. Mm. And most people don't know first how to claim it and then how to seek those other people. And that's the work. Mm. To remember that you cannot do it alone, that you need to go find out those other people and that journey from leaving whoever you're currently affiliated with and think they are your people to go find your real people, Mm. that real purposeful, that joining instead of followership, joining each other. That work is the real work And I'm hoping, you know, you and I remind everyone that we don't have to do it all alone, that we need to do it in community,
1: and that it's literally just a process of seeking people out, the right people. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. And I want to ask a little bit deeper, because I think that is such a profound and beautiful distinction. And I'm not sure I'd ever thought of it at the level of detail you invited me to think of it, joining or following. And what are you asking people to do? Follow me or join me? Join us. Say a little more about the distinction before we end Yeah. This. So remember,
2: onlyness is about two aspects that work at the same time. One is how do you have your own voice, what you care about, what you value, your own purpose, be high? And how do you belong? to those people who can then join together to go make things done right because it's not about you alone right it's about us you plural that makes something new manifest so you have to have both aspects at the same time which means i can't have low voice of myself and belong to you because that would make me like the equivalent of a borg In the Star Trek metaphor, right? Where I quote unquote belong, but I don't belong with my own distinct voice. And I can't also have high voice and low belonging because all that says is I'm in charge and I don't have to listen to anyone, right? Mm -hmm. You want both. You want high voice, the capacity of someone to understand what they care about and be able to live into their own truth and belonging that allows you to still be differentiated and connected at the same time. So unity happens not because I follow you or you follow me, but because we're going towards the same thing together.
1: Thank you. That's just such a beautiful place. So who are the people that you're going towards the same place together with? To whom do you belong? To whom do you belong? Nelifer, for people that want to go deeper in this exploration or in learning of this? Where do we point them?
2: Well, my website, nilifermerchant.com has some good organization stuff. One of, one of the fun things that I did recently is I organized it by ideas. So if you go to the onlyness page, you'll see, like, good pros, good talks, good everything all sort of organized there so you can probe along. And I really do write for that person who's interested in this journey. So I regularly, although I haven't in the last few weeks, regularly blog and share ideas to kind of continue that conversation.
1: Well, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for this conversation so real and connected. It's really meant a lot to me.
1: Oh, I'm grateful for that. It's meant a lot to me as well. Mm -mm -mm. I love it when a conversation lingers in my mind and leaves me longing for more. And that's what this conversation did for me, so much so that Nilifer and I have already booked our next conversation. And it's probably not one that will be aired. It's just one to share and enjoy. I love the question Nilifer shared from a conversation with a friend right at the beginning of our conversation about innovation or the innovative ways they are responding to situations and clients now. And this question came up. What if this sticks? There are plenty of things that we hope stick around and become part of the new normal once it arrives. Let me ask, what is something you're doing now or perhaps some way you are showing up and being now that you want to be intentional about sustaining in the days, weeks, and months ahead? One I hope that lingers is this idea that Nilifer shared that we're all linked together and we're more focused on our being linked together than ranked, that the old ranking of hierarchy of heroes, it's certainly been upended now and reordered. I hope that lingers and that we have a new appreciation and a new sense of priority for whose contribution and service matters and creates a valuable community. And I love her humility to share about her changed thinking on the value and power of hope. Hope is not wishful thinking, and right now we understand hope is absolutely essential and there's nothing soft about it. So I hope you embrace your onlyness your unique contribution to the world, and that you connect with your community of co those you're joining together with to make a difference in this world. Hey, as always, I remind you, my door is open and you have an open invitation to reach out and connect with me. You can do that by emailing me at kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com or you can call or text that's plus one if you're calling from another part of the world, until we connect again, and I hope it's sooner rather than later, keep shining your light and love on others to help illuminate the path forward on this road less traveled we share in business, leadership, and life. Thank you for being a Difference Maker.
0: What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at the community because it's better when we do things together.